This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. Remain standing. Okay, I'm reading from Matthew 26, starting in verse 57. Then the people who arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the religious law and the elders had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and sat with guards and waited to see how it would all end. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus so they could put him to death. But even though they found many who agreed to give false witness, they could not use anyone's testimony. Finally, two men came forward who declared, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Then Jesus replied, you have said it, and in the future you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, blasphemy, why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard this blasphemy, what is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted, he deserves to die. Then they began to spit in Jesus' face and beat him with their fist. And some slapped him, jeering, Prophesy to us, you Messiah, who hit you that time? Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, You were, you were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know this man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, You must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, A curse on to me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. Thank you, Missy. Give God a hand for the reading of the word. You may be seated. Thank you for being here today. Robin and I, and we're honored you come and hang out with us on a Sunday to hear the word of God. I pray it blesses you. I want to start a new series called People. Uh, it's, I would say, my journey, my whole journey with God. But it really came alive last year. I shared a little bit of it with you in the message I did called He Healed My Heart. I felt like before I started talking about, you know, where our church is headed for the future, that I wanted to share my story and what Robin and I have been through last year. And I tried to do that the best I could with my struggles of faith and prayers for her and for the journey she went through last year with cancer and, you know, just watching where our world was heading and having some hard prayers. And my prayers were things like, 
you know, I want to be more bold. I, uh, not that I'm ashamed of Jesus, but I'm on this planet for a reason, and yet there were a lot of frustrations. Uh, why are we here? Or do we make any difference as Christians? And so those are just some of my own personal prayers as I'm going through. And <clears throat> a few weeks back, we were kind of talking about where are we going to head? Where's this church going? And this phrase, just one word, jumped in my heart, people. And I, I said to the team here, I said, I believe God's put some subject in my heart to talk about people. I didn't even know what I would say. I just felt that kind of resonate in me. And I just started thinking on it for a few weeks. I asked Joey, I said, hey, could you throw me together a graphic that kind of says what I, I'm feeling in my heart. I said, what I feel in my heart is just a bunch of faces of random people, but then down in the bottom, just a picture of Jesus. And when he sent this to me, I thought it was pretty appropriate to what I had been feeling in my heart. And it's, you know, there's the reality of life. It's all the people we work with. It's the people we go to school with. It's the you know, the people we're attracted to, boyfriends, girlfriends, fiancés, husbands, wives. It's, it's the casual acquaintances. It's the people I know their face but not their name. But it's also the people I know their name and their birthday and I hang out with them. And, and it, it's life. It's doing life together. It's the friends you hang out with. It's getting together and doing football together, UFC fights, cheerleading nights, whatever it is. But down in the bottom, and I thought it was interesting, it... There's Jesus, and yet all we have of Jesus is just pictures. We have no real reality. We have nothing that really says what he really looked like. We only conjecture it. We, we paint it. We make abstract pictures of it. Uh, if you really wanted a human, I, and Joey sent me several of these, but one of them has the, quote, human Jesus, Jim Caviezel from the movie The Passion of the Christ. And so Jesus at best is a Hollywood actor. Jesus at best is a is a portrait of some, you know, kind of strange look that the artist kind of rendered. But we all believe in him, but he's still just kind of a, an abstract thing. He's out there in heaven. He's, he's not really real, but he is real. He, he's definitely not as real as what I'm going through. And so I wanted to try to, to talk about this. How does that abstract painting become so real to people? You know, how does Jesus, this person, this figure of history, become so real to the people I work with? And in that, I've landed on the way Jesus stops being a painting and a mural on a wall is he has to be real to us. And when he's real to us, he's real to people. And so then I started asking myself, how real is Jesus in me? I know I believe in him. I... I do believe if I died, I would go live with him in a place called heaven. I mean, I have that level of faith. But, but to carry around in me the reality of Christ, that if you want to know the real Jesus, almost the, the audacity to make the statement is weird. If you want to believe in the real Jesus, look at my life. My life will reflect his reality. My life will tell you he's more than a painting. My life will tell you that there is a real person who inhabits the people who believe. And his name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And if God is in me and working through me, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And so the way the painting becomes a reality is not that I hire Jim Caviezel to play Jesus. Jesus is real because he's real in me. 
And I carry that with me everywhere I go. And last year I started having these thoughts. Is, is, is my faith bringing the reality of Christ real to people? It's what I believe bringing Him reality. Or is it real to me but to everybody else in my 50 feet? Jesus is still just a, an image, a picture, an art piece. that Because they never see the reality of Jesus in me. Although He's real to me but to everybody else in my 50 feet. He's just a figment, a historical figure. And so I'm, what I'm going to try to attempt to do in this series is not preach to you but to tell you what I've tried to work out to help me be a better this. And I'm not saying I'm great at it. I mean, I think if you hung out with me, you'd definitely go, he loves Jesus. I don't think you'll hang out with me and go, he really struggles with that. I, I really attempt to live Christ in my family, to my children, to the, my 50 feet. But I also was honest with myself that maybe the way I'm living for Christ is falling short to what he expects of me. Because sometimes I think we can give ourselves the grace that we're good Christians, but when we assess it in relation to what Jesus expects out of me, I, I realize I might not be doing as good as I thought I was doing. And so I started having some deep conversations with myself about my faith in God. And you know, if you've been a Christian a while, this will make sense. If not, it might not. But... but do you remember when we would all take these things called gift tests and you would answer 200 questions and then it would tell you this is how gifted you are or the area of gifting. Today it's Enneagram. So think Enneagram old school Jesus style. You would go to church and they would give you like 200 questions and you would answer to the best of your ability and at the end of the questions there were five categories typically you would fit in. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. And, and then when you answered all the questions, you scored yourself. And then you ranked yourself in one of these categories. And then we all went around the room and told what category we're in. And everybody clapped. And we went out and had no clue what it meant. But we knew what we were. And so I, I would take the test all the time. My dad was a pastor. So I would always take it hoping the test would change. But consistently across the board, on a scale of 0 to 100 each category... Mine went like this uh, almost every time. Mid to high 90s was apostolic. Don't really know what that meant, but I scored high. Next was in the high 80s, low 90s, prophetic, the prophet. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm probably cool, like a long beard, a wizard pole. Man, I could be the prophet. That makes sense to me. And so it's high 80s, 90s was a prophet. In about the 60s, mid-60s was pastor. So I'm pretty much flunking. I'm, I'm a D-level pastor. And I'll be like, man, I need to score higher because that's what I do. And I'm like, I'm only making a D here. And then uh, below that was, well, kind of maybe right there with it was the teacher. In the mid-60s, 70s was teacher. And then the fifth one was the evangelist. So I was pretty 60 and higher with most. And the evangelist, across the board, every time I took the test was less than 10 points. And I would always look at that and go, dude, that's just sorry. Like 10, like I would go back and take the test again. Like I'm going to try to re-answer. And I would still get the same thing. Like I, I'm just an F, an F plus, like 10 on a scale of 100. And so the joke became, I'm a great prophet, but I don't care if you go to hell. Because I was a terrible evangelist. 
Like I had no desire at all when I would take the test for people to get born again. And I would just laugh like, how could I be that saved and not even care if people go to hell? Like I don't even, it's like that's just what it was. And so I was just kind of like, well, I don't know. So the big joke became, I love you, but you may go to hell. I don't care. You know, because I just couldn't reconcile all these gifts with should I feel, should I care? I mean, I want to care. I don't know it was a test, but I think it was pretty real because I really looked back over my life and thought how passionate was I for people. And I realized much of my Christianity through the years was more about God helping me, blessing me, answering my prayers, give me a job, help me through school, heal me, fix my life, bless my marriage, bless my children, heal my dog, get me a new job, give me a car. Help me get in school. Help me pay this bill. And I realized that a lot of my faith, though I believed in Jesus, and Jesus was real to me, and he was answering my prayer, maybe with the people around me, because I wasn't so vocal about Jesus to the world. I was more vocal about Jesus fixing me and helping me, that maybe I was missing something. And last year, everything shifted. Because when we shifted last year, I started realizing something's changed in our world. And I started wondering, was, was this something of the devil or was God, this is just an opinion here, or was God allowing something to happen that would wake us all up? And I became very honest with, maybe I love Jesus, but I'm asleep. And God's trying to wake me up to something. And I started having prayers. So what I want to share with you over the next several weeks or those prayers becoming reality of what I felt. Here's the thought I had that started the journey. As I watched 2020 and 2021 play out, I came to this conclusion. Evil is being propagated and promoted at an alarming rate. How many of you would say that's true? We are seeing darkness and evil at an alarming rate grow. Uh... You know, every newspaper you open up, every, every news article you see on TV, all social media, the things we're dealing with today that Christians would call dark is super dark. Evil, evil is, is running rampant. And yet what we call evil, the world calls normal. And yet it's, evil has been so normalized that it's, it's rampantly running. And I watched it through 20 and 21. I, you've heard me say this. I watched the world aggressively go after an agenda of darkness and they did it without apology. While the church was shut down, I don't know if you remember, we were shut down, we couldn't meet. We were filming in a basement and putting it out hoping people would watch it. And I remember having this thought and I said it to Robin, I said, I'm kind of miffed about it. She said, what are you upset about? I said, the fact that the world's not stopping what they're doing, they're running full throttle, shoving it down my throat of what they think I ought to believe about all the gender identity, sexual identity, all the stuff going on, critical race theory, curriculums, and all the stuff, and Marxists and socialists and whatever it is they're doing, I feel like they're just shoving it down my throat. I don't care if they do it, that's the world, but I feel like they're shoving it down my throat. You know, and I made some things. I said, I feel like it's even going to get worse. And she said, worse? I said, I do. I think it's going to get worse. 
I think what we see happening is going to get worse. In other words, I said all this, that we, back then it was 14 days to you know, slow the curve. I said it's not going to be 14 days. It's going to be years worth of this, if not decades. Decades of pandemic, decades of masking up, decades of fear, decades of anxiety, decades. And then critical race wasn't really there yet in the colleges, but they were started promoting it. And all of this stuff that began to be promoted, gender identity, sexual identity, everything that was just shoving it as hard as they could down the kids' throats. I'm okay with my throat. I mean, I'm, I'm an adult. I kind of already know what I believe. But when they're shoving it down first and second and third and fourth and fifth graders, I get a little ticked. And the thing that bothered me is I'm sitting in a basement filming while the world is running full throttle. And I, and I just made a decision. I said, no more. I, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm going to go full throttle as loud as I can be. In July, we opened up. And we just decided, you want to come? Come. If you don't, don't. You want to wear a mask? Do. You don't, don't. You want to get a vaccine? Do, do. You don't. We're not here for that. We're here for Jesus. And we're going to go full throttle. And... But my heart was, the, the next line, I think we all agree on the top line, but the next line is really where God began to convict me. While the world is shouting at the top of their lungs, many Christians are timid. And we're not stepping forward. And we're not sharing the agenda of Christ with zero apologies. At best, we make post of how frustrated we are. But, are we, but, but we're timid. And I'm not talking you, I don't know your personal story, but I know what I see across the horizon and what I see in my heart was Christians were much more timid than we were bold. We were scared of the government, we were scared of COVID, we were scared of being silenced, we were scared of being, uh, you know, uh, shadow banned and all the stuff that the world's just... <laughs> Oh God, what are they going to contact trace us? What if I turn into a zombie and I'm watching all this play out and I'm going, man, I'm having questions. Like, Do you think Jesus is coming back? Is this the mark of the bees? For a year and a half, two years, trying to throw answers to every question that's coming my way. And so as I was praying about this, this, this series called People, again, I, I need you to hear my heart because we're going to go there, but... It wasn't so much I wanted to preach a sermon. It was that I was trying to work something out in me that I felt like God wanted out of me. And I thought, well, if I'm leading this ship, I might as well put it out there and see if I can pull everybody along. See if I can get everybody on the ship with me. Because I got very convicted and I wanted to answer God. So let's go to what uh, Missy read this morning. The thing that jumped in my heart was this story of Peter. It wasn't my original jumping off point, but I felt like this needed to be the jumping off point. So I began to read all through it the last few weeks, and I'll give it to you how I've read it, and hopefully it'll inspire you. And at the end of it, I'm going to ask a big ask. I have a very intentional thing to ask you at the end. Inside the leading priest and the entire high council, we're trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus. I want you to understand something about darkness and evil and the devil and his kingdom and God and his kingdom out of this one line in yellow. Both kingdoms know if you want to move and shake, you need witnesses. Every agenda promoted needs a witness. 
It's how it moves forward. It's how you get something to become viral. You get a bunch of witnesses, and then the witnesses witness, and the video becomes viral. The world knows it. Marketing knows it. The devil's kingdom knows it, and God's kingdom knows it. And what I will say is that the devil's kingdom has grabbed a hold of every human they can grab a hold to witness for the agenda of the devil's kingdom. And they do it boldly and proudly. They're not apologizing, and if you think any differently than they do, they will shame you, they will put you down, they will call you a narrow-minded, homophobic, bigot, misogynist, whatever they need to call you to shame you into it. Because that's the world we live in now. And I used to really get irritated by that. I would say, God, I just why does it have to be this way? And then my mother would say, I just don't mind it for me, but I don't want my grandkids to grow up in it. I understand that. You, you want your children to have a better life than you have. You want your children to have a better nation. You, uh, let's not even talk Christian. You just want your kids to have a better future. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in 2021 and the garbage that's coming on, the darkness that's availing, the, the conversations we're seeing on television, the, the curriculum they teach in colleges, the, it's just almost mind-blowing. I even look at it. I try to be logical. I mean, I have three college degrees, so I try to be logical. I try to look at the debate and go, but it's so illogical, it's not even reasonable anymore. I was, I was texting somebody the other day, and I just wanted to send a Jesus emoji. That's not even that powerful. Just an emoji about Jesus. And so I go, Jesus emoji, and I'm scrolling. Well, my God, there's got to be a Jesus emoji on my iPhone. There, there is a gay emoji, a fat man emoji, a crying emoji, a sad emoji, an angry emoji, a, a, a trans emoji. There is even emoji of a pregnant man. And so I go, there's got to be a Jesus emoji. If there's an emoji of a pregnant man, we got to have Jesus. I type in the search, the emoji, nothing. It wasn't like I was ticked. It wasn't like I wanted to call Apple and go, Where's my Jesus emoji? I could make me one if I wanted to. But I just thought when we have a pregnant man emoji, but no Jesus emoji, something's wrong. Like why is he bothering people? And so I will say the world knows if you want to move something, you need a witness. If you want to move an agenda of racism, you get everybody talking about racism. If you want to move an agenda of a divided country, you tell everybody to witness about it. If you want to get a president that people hate to be a racist, you tell everybody that a red hat is racist. If you want to believe that Joe Biden is off his rocker and is unfit, then you tell everybody that's what you say. Because the world knows to move an agenda, you have to have people behind it that will witness. However, God also knows that if you want to move His kingdom... It takes people willing to witness. Both kingdoms know it. Now here's where I've landed in the yellow. Finally, while they're looking for witnesses, two men came forward. And I felt like in that moment when I read that, I highlighted it in orange. I realized in a moment that the world has finally come forward with no apology for what they believe.
And they are going to get it into every school system, every curriculum, into every public school, every college, every private school. They're going to hit you with everything they can hit you with. And I know people kind of are irritated because Christian schools and home schools are just exploding with parents that are frustrated getting their kids in a different kind of setting. Because they're frustrated. But the world has finally come forward. What we talk about today, we didn't talk about in the 60s and 70s. What we talk about today, we can't even imagine we're talking about it, but we do it with great boldness. And this brought me to this thought. The high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer the charges? What do you have to say? But Jesus remained silent. And in my questions of the last year, people start asking me, do, do, do I believe Jesus is coming back quickly, soon? I try to answer the best I can. I try to give scripture to answer it. I have my own feelings, but I don't want to just tell people my feelings, so I try to give Bible to be honorable. But when people ask me, do I believe Jesus is coming back soon? My answer is, I don't think so. I have my reasons. I'll tell you them. But I also think that the world or Christians are praying for Jesus to do something. And he's remaining silent. I just want Jesus to do something. Bring revival. And I want to tell you, Jesus is not going to do anything. He's already done what he's going to do. Jesus died for you. Jesus won the battle. If anything else on our planet gets done, it's not because Jesus is going to do it. It's because you're going to open your mouth and begin to make noise. You're the one that has to make the noise. He's not coming back to fix anything. He's already been here. When the next time he comes back, he comes to set up a kingdom. You want to pray that prayer? That's a good prayer. Jesus, come set your kingdom up. But to sit around and pray for revival, he's like, what are you talking about? It's you. You're the one that's going to bring my reality to these people. You're the one that's going to become the noise. You're the one that's going to become the healing. You will be the miracle. You will be the one. And yet we sit here on the planet wondering where's Jesus, wondering if he'll come get me, get me off this God-forsaken planet. I don't want to be here anymore. Jesus, just bring the rapture. Oh, I just can't wait for the rapture. I understand that. I, I really do. I've had that thought myself. Of, I just wish he'd come get me. And when I had that thought, I felt like, this is me, I felt like I genuinely irritated him with it. Because I'm like, God, just come back. Hurry, Jesus. Come quickly, Lord. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. It's getting dark down here. Oh, it's evil down here. Just hurry up, Lord, before it goes to hell in a handbasket. And I felt like as I prayed that in my own words, I, I felt like that Jesus was a little miffed. Because I had the thought of, wait a minute. The God that created all time, the God that sits above time, the God that sees beginning from end that is eternal in the eternal realm. In his weirdness of weird wisdom, he looks down and says, Hey, I want to take that kid, Mark, kind of got that pudgy belly, Mark, that guy. He, he, he sort of struggles a lot with anxiety at times and used to have a lot of panic attacks. I want to put him in 2021. Why would God leave me here in this God-forsaken time of darkness in my nation? 
fucking needs me. And he thought there's no better time for Mark to be alive than right now. And so I quit praying, hurry up, Lord. And I started praying, God, man, you left me here for a reason. Let me find that reason. Let me quit whining and complaining about how dark it is. And let me ask him, am I even shining at all? Those were my prayers. Let me quit whining about how the world is and start going, God, you put me here for a reason. You have me on this planet in this time for this purpose in this day. Lord, let me learn to rejoice that I'm here and I want to be the light of the world. I don't know if I was doing well with it, but it started becoming my prayer. I, I knew that Jesus may be silent, meaning he's not coming yet, but it doesn't mean I have to be quiet. And I made a decision that I'm not, and I say this, I don't mean it facetiously, it's just kind of my personality. If I'm here on this planet, I'm going out swinging for the fences. I'm not going out pouting and whining and poor pitiful me. I'm going to be, God has me here and I'm, I'm swinging for the fence. And I don't care if I strike out, next time I'll get up and swing for the fence again. And here was the thought that came to me. The world's agenda has become emboldened while the church has become disheartened. I began to have conversations with people over the last year and a half that I felt they were very discouraged. Rather than feeling emboldened, they had become disheartened. They, what about this virus? What do you think about the vaccine? Uh, what about COVID? It's terrible. It's, and I understand. I live, in the, I live in it with you. My parents may get it. What, are your parents getting the vaccine? Or you or, or us? What do you think? Do you think it's a mark of the beast? Do you, you think this is contact tracing? Oh my God, what are we going to do? And, and do you, the world's behind it. The darkness is behind it. The devil is behind it. The vaccine, they're going to mark you and you're going to glow and you're going to turn into a zombie. No, my God, you need the vaccine because it's going to keep you healthy. And now that you've got the vaccine, is the unvaccinated the other problem? Oh my God, the unvaccinated disease. And I'm looking there going, I don't think I'm a disease. I feel pretty healthy. No, you're the disease. I'm like, oh my God, like my head hurts. I, I, I just realized in the moment that the church had become distracted and disheartened while the world is shouting louder. And we're arguing over vaccines and arguing over, over politics and all oh, what do we believe and Trump and Biden and Kamala and, and the borders. And, and I'm not against that. I, I, we live in a nation, you, you get involved, man, be loud. But I realized it wasn't the world's agenda I needed to be shouting about. It was God's agenda. And how many of us had become disheartened? I'm not talking you, us. I'm talking Christians had become disheartened. Even me being disheartened. Like, I just want to, I even said this. I just want to go back to the good old days. Just, I could go to a movie and get buttered popcorn and not worry about dying. I could go watch Batman and not worry about getting shot. Right? I just want to go to Linux Mall and not get shot. I mean, I just the good old days. But I realize the good old days are gone. And I don't need to whine about that. I need to realize I've been left alive for such a time as this. This is why I'm here. This is why God left me here. So the church had become disheartened. I don't know, maybe you're there. Maybe you're feeling anxious. Maybe you've had more anxiety than faith this last year. 
But let's not just talk about politics disheartened. Let's just talk about church disheartened. You've been hurt. You've been, you're tired of church. You, you just sit. You don't want to get involved. Last time you got involved, you got burned out. You got hurt by a preacher, hurt by a pastor, hurt by Christians. And you just, you're just kind of not all in anymore. You, you're in, but not all in. You, you just hurt. You, and you don't want to go all in because the last time you got all in, you just got, ugh, you just burned out. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're disheartened. Maybe you don't trust religion. Maybe you don't, I don't know. But I know we got to grow up. Because I know with all of that, a disheartened people, don't, they don't witness. A disheartened people makes posts and complains and becomes critical. A, a, a discouraged people doesn't witness boldly. And I found myself there and I, I said, God, I don't want to be that kind of pastor. I don't want to stand up and just poor us. Let's just pray God comes back. And I want to go out swinging God. Those have been my prayers. So I kept reading in this passage and let me read it to you. Just keep going. And then they begin to spit in Jesus' face. I don't know if you know this or not, but we're here. Christian nation that is debatable that we even started as a Christian nation, but I'm going to kind of go there. We, we were. Is almost now just anti-Christian. We don't even pray in school anymore. It's just, ugh. We, we want to take uh, one nation under God out. Ugh, just God. The word God makes me sick. Ugh. A spitting in the face of Jesus, even in our own camps, church, even in our own camps, there's division. There's division of Protestant denominations because of what we even think about Jesus or, or his word or his scripture. So now we have very liberal movements of Christians that are breaking from very conservative movements of Christians. And we can't even get together in our own ranks. We're discouraged and disheartened. The Methodist church is splitting right down the middle because of a religion of, uh, of liberal theology that's invading that denomination. Churches on every corner in Douglasville. And yet we're disheartened and, dis and discouraged and while the world continues to spit in the face of Christianity. Because if you're a Christian today... 20 years ago, that's pretty cool, right? You're a Christian. Eh, more power to you. Me too. Where do you go to church? I don't know, but I'm a Christian. Today, across the board, I don't know percentages. I've not done the stats on it. I'm just kind of going with what I see. Today, to be a Christian, a true believing Christian, meaning the Word of God is true, Jesus is the only way to be saved. And you must repent to be born again. That, 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 that core faith. That thing today is a spit in the face of Jesus. Because if you remotely say you must repent, Jesus is the only way. And, and it's male and female because that's what the scriptures teach. They spit in your face and they call you a racist, misogynist, homophobe. You get labeled. You get all the labels that come with being a Christian. It's not clap anymore. You're labeled now. You're narrow-minded. You're short-focused. You're whatever. 
So the world has ramped it up very well. Meanwhile, verse 69 in the blue, and this was me. Meanwhile, Mark was sitting. And I got very convicted last year when I found myself in the meanwhile category. I just sit. I'm not doing anything about it. I'm pouting about it. I'm criticizing it on social media. But I'm really not doing a thing. Meanwhile, Peter. Here's what's so blatantly obvious about this. Meanwhile, Peter. Peter, he walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He saw the miracles of Jesus. He saw dead people come. He walked on the water. He watched miracles of fish and bread. He has had experience after experience after experience, but... In the middle of the heat of the problem, his experience is backed off. Because his experiences brought him to it. Watch now. His experiences. He's had three years of reality with Jesus. This is what I believe in my heart. I, I think I would say it was almost emphatically true. You could debate it. I'm going to go there. I think... That what we see happening in America right now is God has thrust something upon us. And, and by that, I mean as, as Pharaoh was used in the Old Testament, as Babylon was used in the Old Testament, I believe this thing of evil that is ramped upon our nation, I think in some weird way, God has used the enemy's realm of darkness to do this. That in our country, Christians became content to sit. We quit witnessing, we quit living bold, we got carnal, we got lazy, and now we find ourselves in a nation that probably is not as Christian as we hope. And what we see happening now, I believe, is intentional from our Father. Because they find themselves in the middle of a battle. You're one of those that was with Jesus the Galilean. And Peter denied it where? In front of everyone. And I believe what's going on in our nation is forcing the church out of a seated position and putting us in front of everyone. And you're going to be forced to choose what you believe. And you will not be allowed to just sit idly by and be a private Christian. The world, not necessarily God, the world is making you choose. You are being forced by the devil's kingdom to, to get out of a seating position and stood in front of anybody. So you believe that? You believe Jesus is the only way? You believe I have to change and become like him? You believe I have to repent of the way I live? <laughs> I spit in your face. It's forcing me to do something. Next verse. Or the other thought. This is what I got out of that. The season of sitting quietly by, hoping to avoid any confrontation, has come to a screeching halt. That Christianity no longer exists. At least in our country. 
To sit quietly by is no longer an option. To show up and listen to a sermon and then go live your life out there is no longer an option. The world is going to force you to pick which camp you want to be in. And the camp of Jesus is very narrow. The camp of Jesus is not very uh, lucrative in the sense of being marketed well. It's narrow. It's, 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 a, it's a different way. But this confrontation that we're in right now of darkness, welcome to the new normal. You're being confronted on purpose because it's going to define who God's people really are. And who your God is and who my God is. Let's finish the scripture and the thought. Later out by the gate another servant girl noticed him. And now they all start calling him names. They all start labeling him. That's what happens. You, you get darkness and darkness throws labels because labels identify you and labels shame you. This man was with Jesus of Nazareth in the green. And after Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man. In other words, I walked with him, I talked with him, I've seen him, I've been in the private moments, he's taught me well, he's trained me well, I've seen all his miracles, I've watched him use his magic, uh, uh, I don't even know him. It wasn't that he did not know him, it's that when he was confronted publicly with a decision, his experiences were not getting him through. He needed something deeper. I will just tell you, your experiences won't get you through. You need something deeper. You come here and cry all day long. But when you go out there, you better take something more than crying away with you. You need a reality of faith. You need a reality of who he is. What he means to you. I don't even know him. Verse 73, a little later, another bystander came over. You must be one of them. We can tell by your accent. You sound like him. You talk like him. They're getting labeled. They're throwing the labels out here. And he does what anybody in a, in a hard moment will do who feels backed against the wall. He just starts cursing. A curse be on me if I'm lying. Of course he's lying, so he's cursing himself. I don't even know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Next verse. Suddenly... Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Here was the words Jesus spoke. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter went away, sadly, weeping bitterly. He never acknowledged he knew him. He never said, y'all are right, I'm lying. He never could bring himself to realize in this moment he needed to be bold for Christ and he couldn't do it. I don't really know why. Maybe it was prophetic. I don't know. Maybe Jesus knew something about him that he didn't know. But here's what I thought as I read that. It jumped to me. The curse of the crowing rooster made more noise for Jesus than Peter. The rooster became the herald of the voice of God. And I realized maybe our prayers are we're asking God to be the voice of revival through someone else other than myself. Because the rooster making noise was a sign of the curse. You, you brought a curse on yourself. 
Because you were to be the voice of God. And the rooster became the voice of God. And I think a lot of the church is praying for the rooster to crow. Make a noise, God. Do something, God. Bring revival, God. Rain down your whatever, God. And God's like, yeah, no. Mm -mm. You're the voice. You're the one that needs to make a noise, Mark. And then it begins to really bring home of in the front of living in front of people, am I willing to be a voice? It's not that I'm afraid of Jesus. I'm not. You ask me in public, do I know him? Sure. It's not, I'm not there. I'm not ashamed of him. But remember where I'm going is, I'm good with Jesus, but how do I view people? I don't have time. I don't have time to be the voice of God in the middle of public square. I'm busy. I, I don't have time to do this. I, I got to get somewhere. I don't have time to pray for the waitress. I don't. I mean, it's not that I don't love God. I love Him. You ask me, I'll do it. But I, I'm not actively thinking that way. My faith was more about help me, bless me, fix me, give me wisdom to live my life. Help me be a good father. Help me be a good husband. Please help me be a good pastor. I really wasn't praying for the broken world. I was praying more for my world. I want, I want God to be real in my world. And then I realized in my world where God's being real, I'm bumping into other people who still see him as a figment of a painted person. But the reality that I know, I'm not giving it out to them. I got to go. I, I was more upset that my Diet Coke was flat that you might be going to hell. And that's what really began to roll through my brain that, do I even think that? Like, do I think people are going to hell? I mean, I think that's what Christianity 101 is. There's a heaven, there's a hell. But, but oh my God, are, are people in my sphere of influence going to hell and yet I'm five feet away from them? And I have not even said anything. I bump into them every day. They don't even know. I've never even said anything because, you know, after all, I'm just comfortable to sit and watch. I really don't I want to really get out front. And I started having prayers that I felt like I was flunking this test of being on this planet. And so I tried my best to start becoming bold. And I don't mean bold like, again, I'm ashamed of him. I mean bold that in the, just my daily, I just decided if I wake up and you're in my path, you're going to know. So I would be sitting at Longhorn and the waitress would come up and I'd go, hey, you mind if I pray for you? No, no. What you need prayer for? Because I believe Jesus can answer prayer. And then I would pray and all of a sudden alligator tears coming. And I would be at Ingalls and I would be getting ready to check out. And usually I'm in a hurry. i got to go. i got places to be. And then I would just learn to stop a minute and say, Hey, I just want to tell you Jesus loves you. I want to just give you this uh, Starbucks card. I want to just tell you, hey, enjoy your day. And I want you to know Jesus loves you. And can I pray for you about anything? Do you know in all of my years of, uh, I'll say years, I pray for people, but recently, in all of my recent, can I pray for you? Not one person has told me no. Not one. You know why? Because I've been left alive for a desperate generation. And God is going to use me to bring hope to people. Is it embarrassing? The first one was, what if they say no? What if, I mean, they're, they're working. There's no way in the middle of their work I can pray for them. And that little waitress just grabbed my hand right in the middle of Longhorn. 
And there's people everywhere and buzzing by and managers are coming by and I reach out and I grab her hand and I go, let's just pray. She just kneels down right there, tears in her eyes. And in that one moment, she was willing to risk it. I was willing to risk it and God encountered a heart. But I had to be willing. Verse just, Lord, bring revival to Douglasville. Don't use me, but bring revival. Rain down your fire. And I'm like, you are the fire. The next thought. This is for the church now. And this is where I told you I would have a big ask. The comfort of sitting has concluded. We cannot do sitters here anymore. I don't mean you can't come in here and sit. I'm going to love you regardless. I'm just trying to encourage you, being a Christian that just comes and sits on a Sunday and hears a message, it has to end. Because the world's not stopping and, and we can't stop. You've been left alive. You, you're in your 50 feet, your place of employment, where you work, your job, your school, your sporting events, wherever you are, your cheer, your gym, your own, wherever. You have to stop sitting and you have to become bold. You have to quit hoping some magic is going to happen. You are the magic. You are the anointing of God. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The season of silence is over. I've sat on this corner for 12 years, been a good old boy, being quiet. We don't really get out there and do much. We just love people. But I just decided, man, the world's not quiet. I'm not going to be quiet either. I don't know what that means, but I'm just not going to be quiet about it. I'm going to be bold about what I believe with Jesus. And for us today, it's time to weep bitterly for the sin of silence. How many people do you know today in your sphere of influence, their eternal destiny? Just a thought. It's not to freak you out or do some emotional voodoo on you. But it's a good thought. The person you've worked with 15 years passes this life and for eternity, spend eternity without God in a place called hell. And yet every day for 15 years, they were five feet from you and you did nothing about it. Nothing. Do we answer for that? Does that, does that bother God? Does it bother me? You know, I told you, it used, no, it used to not bother me at all. Going to hell? I'm sorry. Want my Diet Coke? I mean, I did care, but I didn't care enough to ask. And so I'm just simply saying as we go through this on people, I, I'm asking that the ask would be that if you call this place home, don't just sit anymore. If you call this place home, the season of silence needs to be over. Be bold where you work. Be bold where you are. Own your 50 feet. Pray for people. Reach out. Become what God wants you to be. Here's where it gets really weird. You ready? This is where it just turns strange. Back to Peter. Back to a scripture. This is Peter years later. He's already flunked the test. He's already blown it. But he writes a book years later. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, I'm sure he's had a moment to rethink and rehash and relook at his, his failures and his problems. And he's kind of you know, thinking this thing through. This is what he writes. The Lord, remember I told you about his Jesus coming back. He answers the same thing to his friends. Well, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. 
as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake because he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed and he wants everyone to repent. Is Jesus coming back today? He could. But he probably is taking his time because he wants more people saved. I want him to come back because I'm frustrated. He's like, dude, glad you're frustrated. Not coming yet. There's still more people. I want more people here with me. More people here with me. I appreciate all your narcissistic prayers, Mark. I will bless you. I will give you that car if you need it. I'll help you get in college. I'll bless your children. However, I need you to shift a little bit and come over here. I really want to come get you, but I can't come get you because I'm very patient about all the people that are irritating the hound out of you. And I put you in the middle of them because I need you to go to them so that I can see them as my children. And until you do that, I think I'm just going to hang up here and wait a while. Because I'm very patient. I know you're in a hurry because you're irritated. But I'm not in a hurry. I need people to be born again, Mark. And they're on your watch. So I came to this thought, and I hope this blesses you. For the future in this church... Typically, we say this, we're here for our values of love, power, and community. Well, that's going to kind of go still on the website, but this is going to become what we say every week. Rather than telling you our values, we're going to tell you our mission. Because it's time to work now. It's not just time to know who we are, love, power, community. It's time to get busy. So every Sunday, a slide is being made, and It will pop up on the screen to say, here's our mission. We own our 50 feet. In other words, no more excuses. We all have a story in here. How Jesus has changed our lives and we're all going to tell it. And you have to be willing to tell that story. You have to be willing to go to your schools and go to your work and go have a story to tell of how Jesus changed me. Back up a slide. I want to tell you what I've been praying and maybe you can pray it. My little prayer at the bottom I wrote is, may I never live another day wasting God's patience. Because I feel like I may have wasted a lot of His patience. Praying prayers to help me, but not praying prayers for lost people. And I just would ask you to think that through. Are you on this planet? And yeah, Jesus loves you, but are you wasting His patience? Because you're doing nothing about lost people. And you can say with me, well, I'm not an evangelist because that was mine. I'm not an evangelist. And God's like, I know that. But I'm asking you, are you willing, Mark? So I want to give you something that I think will be practical as you go. I tried to think of what I said about people and where I've landed on trying to be more missional with my life and owning my 50 feet. Here's what I do, and I hope it will help you and maybe give you a little plan yourself. Number one, I pray this often. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Everybody in this building has a story. You're here. You have a story. Then, number two, pray specifically for people in your 50 feet. A name. Somebody you work with. A friend. That you know could probably use a little hope. Write their name down. Put it on your phone. And just say a prayer for them every day. Maybe you work by them. And just begin to pray for them. Before you ever even offer the prayer, you begin to pray. Number three, this really helped me. 
Write a short sentence that describes what Jesus has done in your life. All right? And by that, I mean you need something that you can tell people in a very short window of time because not everybody has 15 minutes for you to explain the Roman road to salvation. They have, there's other customers in line. There's other tables that need to be waited on. I wrote this down. This is my sentence. You can steal it if you want, but this is mine. I use this. I hit rock bottom because most people know that. I lost it all. Most people understand lost. But Jesus restored my life, and now my life is better than it's ever been. That's my life story. I don't really talk about the adultery or the anxiety attacks or the am I pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, and does Adam have a belly button? I just start with I hit rock bottom. So it kind of goes like this in practical. Hey, do you mind if I pray for you? Uh, no. Well, I just want to tell you, man, I hit rock bottom in my life, lost everything, but Jesus restored it. And my life is better than it's ever been, and I just want to pray for you. I love um, what um, Laverne told me at the end of the first service. She came up, she said, you know what we do? She said, we just walk up and go, hey, have you heard the good news? And they go, no, what? And then she shares Jesus. She shares her story. People are dying for good news today. So I don't know what your statement would be, but I would encourage you to take some time and write down one sentence that defines who the reality of Jesus is to you. Get it in your heart and begin to just be willing to say your sentence. You don't have to have them kneel down and pray a prayer. Are you willing to just say your sentence? And then let God work. And then finally, number four, live expecting opportunities to share your story. Wake up every day and go, God, today let me share it. Would you stand up with me if you will? Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.